We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Tuesday, February 28th, and we'll be talking a little bit about about late swap today. Get your questions in. If you want to talk about late swap, feel free to type it in in the YouTube chat. Uh, you know, I'm always always welcome. Uh, you know, the people that are here live, to, if they have follow up questions. So I uh, hit that thumbs up button. You know how much I like the like button, the subscribe button, the notification bell. Click on a lot of stuff on the screen. It helps us out. Um, and send in your questions. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. That's how that's how this show works, pretty much. You have questions, I have answers. You send them in, and, and we, we talk about them. And most of this stuff, almost all of this stuff, is in the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, either the first Fundamentals Masterclass, How to Think Like a Professional DFS Player. That's 15 hours long. Or uh, continued in more detail in the Theory of DFS for Advanced Players, which comes with James McCool's Custom Excel Tools. And that's a six-hour, 10-chapter audio course with the tools. If you put them together, 21 hours of audio and the tools, and a Roto-Grinder subscription, that, that's all That's all you need. It's pretty much, that's that's what that's all I need in order to uh, to play DFS profitably. In a, in a skillful manner, but here on the show, we, we cover topics in a, in an unstructured way. You send them in and I answer them. And if we go over things over and over again, then so be it. So, uh, so I, I did get a question cause we talked about, we talked a little bit about late swap yesterday. I know that, that typically on Mondays with, with James, we talk about it, just a range of things, just whatever happens to be around, you know, FanDuel screwing up their pricing, stuff like that. Um, the conspiracy theories, the, the village idiots yesterday. Uh, so uh, I got a question in from 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 Dave from Deep. I believe Deepik is in the chat. I believe it's Deepik, right? Makes sense. It kind of makes sense with the with his email talking about. Can you spend some time to discuss late swap strategies? For instance, in large field GPPs, what should you do with lineups that are fifty percent completed 
and are performing poorly? Should you swap out for higher ceiling, lower projection? If they're performing well, do you use the inverse to be more conservative? So I'm going to reply back to Dave saying that we're covering us on today's show and tomorrow's show. Okay, so it'll be a two-parter. Two-parter about late swap strategy. Macro strategy and micro strategy. So let me send that in over there. Okay. You have to understand. I talked about this before in a previous show. Go back, go back maybe, maybe two months, whatever. Look for look for the show that they're they're titled now. So you could you'd find them. So you're looking for the show. Uh the two shows, I believe, is profit distribution and GPPs, as well as nut advantage and range advantage. So if you go back to those shows, uh much of that, much of what I'm going to be covering the next two days. Are, are in those episodes, but uh, I'll obviously take uh, further, further questions about it. Late swap strategy is very, very, I mean, it, all of DFS, play, especially uh, in GPPs, is understanding where the money lies, where the equity lies. It's a game of equity, okay? So like I use my little sketch pad here, right? Which is it's horrible, but, but we'll have to, we'll have to deal with it about where the equity lies in contests because that's where you should from the start from the start from from zero percent finished right when you're making your lineups slate hasn't started if you're playing a gpp i mean where's all the money all the money is towards the top right we see here this this is a, a bare basic distribution graph of equity for like a large field gpp okay which means like what percentile outcome is the what percentile lineup is on the bottom. So zero would be the winner. Top 1%, top 5%, top 10%, top 15%, top 20, top 25. I mean, depending on the contest, sometimes, you know, they pay top 22%, top 25%, somewhere around there. And then everything underneath that, you get nothing. You get zero. You get nada, nothing. This is, a, this is called a progressive payout graph. So, I mean, most, most GPPs are progressive in some fashion depending on how top heavy it is so you see here where does most of the equity lie like between the zero and one right so if we can see here like if one goes up to like maybe like 20x or 10x even like maybe like over here like in the 10x range right so if you're getting the top one percent you're gonna 10x your money if it's a if it's a five dollar contest you get 50 bucks like if you come in the top one percent of lineups now, obviously, in a fifty thousand entry contest, top one percent is like five is five hundred lineups, right? So you come in five hundredth place, you'll get ten extra money or something. Something I'm, you know, I'm giving just an example here. Once you get up to like the top two hundred and fifty or top a hundred, then you get up to like twenty x, right? And then it gets progressively higher and higher, like a hockey stick. Once you get from five hundredth to a hundred, like the difference between five hundredth place and 250th place is not that much different right maybe 10x to 15x from 100th place to 75th place is not there's not that much difference you go from 15x to maybe 20x and then when you go from like like 50th place to 25th place like you almost like double it goes you go from like 25x to 50x and then when you when you go from 20th place to 15th place you jump up even higher. And from 15th to 10th, you jump up even higher than from 10th to 9th, from 9th to 8th, from 8th. Like, so like 10th place, a lot of times is only like 1% of first place, right? So going from 10th place to first place is, is a 
is a lot. Going from 10th to 4th place is a lot. Going from 5th to 4th place is a lot. But going from 500th place to 499th place doesn't mean much, right? Doesn't mean much at all. So all, all of this equity is in this, like, pretty much the top 1%, right? Now, in the top 5%, if you come in the top 5%, maybe you're 3Xing or 5Xing your money, right? Maybe you're maybe you're over here. Maybe you're somewhere somewhere over here in the 5th percentile. In the 10th percentile, maybe you're 3Xing your money, right? Maybe 2.5Xing, something like that. And then once you get to the 25th place, you're, like, 1.5Xing. Once you get to, like, the 15th or 20th, now you're just 2Xing. But this represents a lot more lineups, right? The 25th percentile in a 50,000 entry contest is like 12,000th place, okay? So going from 12,000th place to, what, 1,000th place? Doesn't, I mean, you you get 2x extra your money, right? Instead of 1.5x, you're getting a 2x, 2.5x. Like, that's a lot of spots, so coming in the thousandth place and ten thousandth place doesn't mean that much, right? It doesn't doesn't gain you all that much. Going from a thousandth to five hundredth place doesn't gain you that much, right? In general, if you came in if you came in seven hundred and sixty eighth place or twelve hundred and fourteenth place, it it doesn't it's not that big of a difference. But coming in the difference between seventh and third place is a humongous difference, right? Coming in, especially in the lower end, if you come in 10,000th place or 8,000th place, you've beaten an extra 2,000 lineups, but your payout actually hasn't moved at all. You actually get the same amount. So it doesn't, it doesn't even matter at that point. So where does the equity lie in the GPP, right? We're not talking about double ups or cash games, which I'll, I'll, I'll hit that uh, in a moment anyway. This is GPPs. This is what primarily we're talking about. When it comes to what your late swap strategies are, there are late swap strategies in, in double ups as well. But you have to understand where the equity lies and how much financial value there is in moving up spots and what spots are attainable for your lineup at the time. Okay. Because remember, with late swap, we already have a lot of information. Let's say it's an NFL slate. And we have, you know, seven games at, at at the first set window of games and four games at the second set. 1 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Eastern. You have seven games and then four games. And there's a pretty distinct period where most of the, most if not all of the first set of games is done by the time kind of the second set of games goes off. Of course, there's a little bit of overlap, right? There may be a couple of minutes here or there. But for a lot of times, you know, you'll be you'll be going through It'll be 3.30 Eastern or something. And you're like, oh, I have a running back that's, you know, I have a $7,900 running back that only has four points, right? With a snowflake there. Or I have a $5,200 receiver that has 36 points. That's like, oh, okay. you're That's really good. You're going to pretty much, the, whoever wins is probably going to have that guy, right? That type of thing. You're going to, you're going to know a lot more information. But the thing that you're also going to know is whether or not you have the nut advantage. Okay, which is a, a po- I'm using a poker term, right? Nut advantage meaning is that you have a player and they're owned enough that the winning lineup is very, 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 very likely to contain that player, right? An 18% owned player at 5,200 that puts up 36 points is probably going to be in the winning lineup, right? Because 18% of all the lineups have it. If, it, if it's a 0.01% player, 
that did that may not end up in the winning lineup because not, there aren't that many lineups that have that guy, okay? So you have to determine before you make late swaps, do you have the nut advantage? Now, most of the time you won't, right? Most of the time you actually won't. It's actually 99% of the time you won't and 1% of the time you will, right? 1% of the time you'll have, you know, oh, the, the game that went 42 to 35 in the in the first set of games, right? And that ha- that whole stack, right? You'll have the quarterback with 38, the two wide receivers, one with 38 and one with 24 at a cheap price. And you'll have the run back, running back that has 32, right? And then you also have like the defense, that scored 21 in the first set of games. And you have a lineup that looks exactly like that. And it's like, wow, I have like the best players at the best prices in all those slots. I have the nut advantage, right? You have the, some, it obviously depends on the contest. Obviously in a smaller field contest, it's the, the nut score is going to be lower. But in a large field contest, it's going to be much closer to the nuts, the best possible lineup, okay? So you have to determine whether or not you have the nut advantage. Why is that important? The misnomer when it comes to macro strategies for late swap is that when your play, when your players, when your lineup is, is, is underperforming, you should be more inclined to fade chalky players in order to gain more relative value. Meaning that like, let's say in the second set of games, there's this 40% on running back that projects well. That's why he's 40% on. And you're like, oh, wow, my lineup is underperforming. I don't want to share points with 40% of the field. I have to find points that less of the field is getting. So now I have to lower my projection and lower my ownership so I can increase the variance of my lineup. So I can increase the range of outcomes, right? So I can get points that other people aren't getting because I'm behind, okay? That's what most people think. And while... The concept in and of itself is true. The financial value of doing so maybe maybe most likely is way is is not worth it. It's actually not worth it to do. Now, why is that the case? Right? Let's use the example. Like, let's take a look at this equity distribution graph. And let's say your lineup is sitting somewhere, you know, on the on the on the payout scale, somewhere in the in the 50th percentile range. You're you're underperforming. Your lineup, you know, you have you have decent amount of points, but you 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 believe you believe you're like 15 points below the cash line, right? Adjusted for PMR, right? How many pet salary and PMR, right? So you're sitting here, you know, somewhere on the bottom over here at the 50th percentile. You don't have like a 30, the 36 pointer, $5,200 wide receiver. You don't have that guy. You don't have the defense. There's an 8% on defense that put up 21 points. You don't have that guy either, right? And let's say that let's say that, that there was some cheap tight end that had two touchdowns. So there's some third, 3K tight end with like 19 points. You know, like these are the guys that are more likely to be in the winning lineup. Depending on their ownership, Right. If one, if these guys are owned to some degree, right. I'm not talking about, about 40% owned, but 5% owned one percent. I mean, some single digits. If those are the players that you need to have the nut advantage and you don't have them, do you have any shot at like a top 1% finish? Probably not. 
We have a $5,200 wide receiver that's 18% owned that put up a million points or whatever. 36 points. We're using that as an example. So 18% of the field has those points. Then you have like 5% of the field that has whatever, the, you know, some running back has 30 points and they're 5% owned or something like that. So what's the overlap of the 18% of one and 5% of the other, right? Multiply it, right? Let's just say, let's say it's, let's say it's 20% of one and 10% of the other. Well, that's 2% of lineups that have both players that estimate that you would have both players. So how many, how many players nut wise would be in, in those lineups? How many of those lineups are there? If it's more than 1% of the lineups in the contest, like you have no shot at you, you have no shot. You have a very limited shot. I don't want to say no shot, but you've very limited shot at coming in the top 1%. Look at where all the equity is. All the equity's there, right? So you have no shot, right? If we say that the top 1% pays at like 10x, and you have no shot at that. So all that equity is gone. You, you can't get that equity. Or it's very unlikely you can. Now, let, let's say, can you even get in the top 5%? Top 5% is like a 5x payout. You may not even be able to get there. Like, they, dude, you have to find like some one, some really low on players that, that like put up absurd points in order to even get in the top 5%. Can you even get in the top 10%? Let's say the t- top 10%, if you get in the, t- the upper 10%, you, that's like a 2x, 3x type of payout. It may be tough to even get there. That's unlikely you're not even getting there. So the only shots that, the only spots that you have any type of real decent enough chance is in like the 10th to 25th percent range. And at that point, does not matter if it's 10th or it's the 25th? At the 25th percentile, you just get under the cash line. In the cash line, it's 1.5x. The next like 3,000 lineups don't do you any different. Like it's still going to be 1.5x until you get to the 2x, like in the top like 17th percentile. So it's like the equity differences between coming in the top 25% and the top 10%. Does, is, 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 it, is there how much financial value is there to that? Because you don't have the nut advantage, your goal is to just, it just I just don't want to get in inside the line. That's it, right? I just need enough relative value to get inside the line. I, all this equity up here is gone to me. It's gone. Don't worry about it. So, so many people in GPPs at this point start just t- removing, like, oh, I got this chalky running back and I got this chalky wide receiver one off. Now, Garrett Wilson is, is going to be 24% on because in GPP, the ownership is going to be lower than in cash games. And we'll get into that. Garrett Wilson is 24% owned and Derrick Henry is 38% owned. And I got to find a way to make up, you know, 15 points or something on average based on how my lineup is performing. But the question is, do you? Do you? Do you need to, do you need to make up those points? Because understand... That if Garrett Wilson is, let's say, 25% owned, well, 75% of the lineups don't have him, right? If, De- if, 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 if Derek uh, Henry is 40% owned, that means 60% of the lineups don't have him. How much, how far behind are you? If you're currently performing in around the 50th percentile of your contest, and you just need to get to the 20, you need to make up enough points to get to the 25th percentile, Okay. 
So how much ownership, right? Derrick Henry is 40% owned. Garrett Wilson is 25% owned. Okay. So now obviously if Derrick Henry does extremely well, right? 40% of the lineups will pass you if you don't have them. 25% of the lineups with Garrett Wilson or whatever the wide receiver that's, you know, chalky will pass you. But if they dud, right? If they dud, those lineups will start going back and you'll start going forward. But how much forward do you need to get? If Derrick Henry and Garrett Wilson project way better than than other than other players at their position, and you still have like two or three spots left in your lineup, maybe it's more worthwhile to get different in the other. Let's say you have a wide receiver that's ten percent owned, that that projects to be ten percent owned, and there's another wide receiver that only has like a, a half a point lower projection, but is projected to be 5% though. Maybe you switch those people, right? Because you're only looking to get to the equity in which you can reasonably reach. Most people, they just start swapping out everyone. They're just like, okay, I, I got to get, I got to all 1% own guys. It's like, okay, if the, everything goes your well to, if you swap to all, if you have four spots in your, in your lineup, and you swap to all 1% owned guys. If if all the 1% owned guys do extremely well and the chalk to Derrick Henry and Garrett Wilson or whatever do poorly, great. You got to the 10th. Right. You're going to 2.5x to 3x your money. There you go. But 95% of the time, you're not, you're going to come in like dead last place. Like your range of outcomes is not that wide when it comes to an equity distribution standpoint. And obviously, those 1% owned guys, they put up 100. I mean, they put up something stupid, stupid that's unrealistic. So if you're sitting in this in this, in this, this zone, it may be more beneficial to actually stick with the chalky, the chalky players, the chalky, quote-unquote chalky. I'm not talking about 90% owned players. We'll, 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 when we come to cash games, we'll talk about that. But let's say now you're sitting, you're really underperforming. Let's say you're down here right? And 90th, right? You have multiple snowflakes in your lineup, right? You got a $7,900 running back with two points. You got a wide receiver that got injured, right? A 7K wide receiver. Keenan Allen got injured. And you say, and they're, and they're, and they're lower owned, right? You have an 8% Keenan Allen with one. You have Dalvin Cook at 7% with a four, right? And some 30%, two 30% owned guys both did well. So you now have all these lineups that are ahead of you. So now you're sitting all the way back here in like 90th, the 90th percentile. The same thing applies. It's like you're, 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 you're there's, there's no way. There's very, 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 you know, blue moon. Something really weird happens for you to get in the top 1%, get in the top 5%, get in the top 10%. Dude. You're a big underdog to even get in the money at all. I mean, just at all. Because you're so far behind, like, let's say you just plugged in the chalkiest, highest projected players, and they did well. Maybe you only reached, like, the 40th percentile, and you you don't make any money, right? So now, since you're so far behind, maybe now, now at this point, now you're like, I need, it's Hail Mary time. It's I'm going to replace the high projected high owned guys and I have to get even lower and lower. Now I need to go with these more. 
1% on guys and change everything I can because your goal is still to just get in the top 25%. So when you're that far behind, then now now you're in the, now you're in the situation where you you, you can't you can't play chalk. You have to lower your projection. Your range of outcomes has to get even wider because you need to reach here. When you're in the 90th percentile, you 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 have uh, what? 65 percentile to go. Right? So you have to make up like 65% of ownership. You have to remove it. But when you're in like the 50th, the 40th, I mean, I see I see people that that are like performing at like the 35th percentile, right? Currently at like heading into the four o'clock games. And they're looking to remove, they're going, oh, I need to, I need to to fade all the chalk and everything like that. And I'm like, why are you doing that? It's like, well, I need to make up these points in order for me to, to do well. It's like you're not going to do well. So your goal is to just min cash. That's it. So if I told you that there was no shot for you to get anything other than 1.5x, there's no shot. It doesn't matter how many points you score. Whether you score 300 more points or two or whatever the amount of points is, the best you could do is 1.5x. You'd say, it's like, okay, well, I don't need all 1% of players. I mean, I just have to get, I need enough relative value now just to get to this line. So maybe you're not fading all the chalky players. And so many people at this point, they start over, over they, they overcompensate because they're looking to get to the top spots. They're like, how can I win the GPP? Well, I can't win it when 40% of people have Derrick Henry. I can't win it when 25% have Garrett Wilson. I can't win. It's like, no, you can't win it at all. You don't have the nut advantage. Like you don't need, you don't even have players. Like you have none of the players that are more likely to be in the winning lineup. The game that went for 80 points, you don't have any of. Right, you didn't stack that game, right? So, like, th- there's three or four players that are more likely to be in the winning line. You have none of them. So, who cares? Who cares about the top one percent, two, top five percent, top ten percent? All you care about is min cashing at this point, because the difference between min cashing and coming in the top ten percent is what one point five x to three x. You're not going to gain that much financial value from from the difference between there. So, as a macro strategy. As a macro strategy in GPP, most of the time, most of the time, most of the time you're going to be in this like just out of the money type of type of range, not like absurdly behind. But most of the time, you'd be better off decreasing your range rather than increasing it. While most people do the opposite. Be much better off to maximize your probability of cashing, of just min cashing. And that may, hey, depending on how old the players are, it may it may involve you, may involve you fading a chalk player. But many of the times it won't. That's why we'll talk tomorrow about micro strategy. And we'll talk about what, what those ownership differences are. But in general, in, in NFL, especially large field GPP, the ownership is fairly inefficient. The guy that's 28% owned probably should have been 40% owned. Right? Guys, 28% owned. Oh, he's chalky. But 72% of people don't have him. If he projects five points better than like the next guy that you could replace him with or something, why are you sacrificing that? Yes, it's the easiest place to get relative value. You're hoping 28% of lineups fail and you have someone different. But if you're sitting in this like 35, 40th percentile range in your contest currently before late swapping, 
it's probably better off for you to keep that guy and just try to just like try to eat your way into this mincast zone rather than just blow up your lineup and be like, well, I'm either coming in 70th percentile or I'm coming in the 10th percentile. Well, what's the difference between the 10th percentile and 25th percentile? Not that much. So you're increasing your variance, but your max payout is going to be like 3x. Rather than <coughs> have plenty, there'll be plenty of times, like maybe you have a 50% shot at min cashing and getting 1.5x. Do you want a 50% shot at min cashing or a 10% shot at 3xing? You'd rather the 50% shot at 1.5xing. So depending on where your lineup is on the equity distribution graph currently in the contest, if you do not have the nut advantage, you don't have the players that will be needed or likely to be needed to come in the top 1%, don't care. Don't worry about it. Your goal is to just min cash. That's it. That's it. Your goal, min cash only. This is what is going to be 99% of the time. That's why I said 99% of the time, you're not going to have the nut advantage. But let's say what happens What happens if you have the nut advantage? Let's say your lineup is now sitting in like the top 5%, right? Has the game that went for 80 points, you have a three plus one or three plus two stack. You have quarterback, two wide receivers. You got the, the run back and everything like that. You have like the defense that scored 21 points. You have those five players in your lineup. And it's like, okay. Now, now what do I do? Okay. Well, now you have to think of the same type of trade-off of how far behind you are and what you should do. Most of the time, this may sound counterintuitive. Most of the time, not all the time, just most of the time, it would be better for you to increase the range of your outcomes. Okay. It would be better for you to swap and, and, and swap off the chalkier players. And I know what you're thinking, Jordan's like, well, if I have the nut advantage, I block, right? If I have like the five guys that like, I got the stack, I got the defense, stuff like that. It's like, well, if I have all those players, like, don't I want to play? Don't I want to leave 40% Derrick Henry in my lineup? Don't I want to leave 25% one-off Garrett Wilson in my lineup? It's like, possibly. It depends on how many other lineups have the nut advantage also. Not just you. If you were the only one with the nut advantage, if you were the only one that had like the, the five guys that you'll need to win and you're the only lineup, yeah, then you're blocking. Then yeah, sure, you can block all of that. Let's say you're one of five people with the nut advantage. I mean, you could still block all of that because what's the worst case scenario? You come in fifth place? Remember, take a look at how big the gaps are in payouts between first and second, second and third third and fourth, fourth and fifth, fifth and sixth, 10th and 20th, 20th and 50th, right? As you go all the way up the payout scale, it gets exponentially more beneficial for you to move up those spots, okay? So if you're sitting there and let's say you deem that maybe 50 to 100 lineups in your contest have had, let's say 100 lineups, you would deem to have the nut advantage right now. Okay, there's a big difference between coming in first and coming in a hundredth, right? Right, isn't there? A hundredth place will pay, well, what? 
50x maybe in a fight in a in a twenty dollar millie maker contest. What what does hundredth place pay? The twenty dollar maybe maybe plays maybe pays three hundred bucks or something maybe, right? Four hundred bucks maybe. First is a million. Second is a hundred thousand. Third is fifty thousand. Fourth is like twenty five thousand. Fifth is ten thousand. Sixth is like five thousand. I mean, when you get to tenth place, you're down to like two thousand dollars or something like that. Four thousand dollars, some something like that. There's a big difference between tenth and first. Humongous difference. Even a difference between tenth and fourth is a huge difference. So if 100 people have the nut advantage, do you want to have similar lineups to them? No, you want to increase it. You, you're now just competing against those 100 lineups. You're not, you're not competing against any lineups below you for the most part, most likely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So many more people are like, oh, I have the nut advantages. Let me block everywhere. And it's quite possible that in your in your attempt to block, you look at later in the lineups, you know, an hour and a half goes by, the 4 p.m. games lock and everything like that. And you see that, oh, based on my lineup construction, uh, there's, there's, four, there's four lineups ahead of me that I can't pass because I have the same players as them, right? Like you have, you have four spots, five spots left in your lineup. And you're a 1v1 off of those those people, right? It's like, well, they have this guy and I have that guy. And they, they and then the other three players are blocked. And then we both have the same player. Well, that means you have no access to first place. You've just, you've now blocked yourself off from first, second, or third. And now the max you could do is fourth place, which is humongous in a mill in the Millie Maker, right? The high, the most top heavy contest there is. Right? So your choice of 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 having of trying to block everyone behind you from un, underneath a hundredth place, put you in a position where the highest equity you could get is fourth place and not first, even though there's a million dollars at first place. Now, does that mean, Oh, I'm going to switch out all these guys to 1% on players. No, you're not going to lower your projection to that extent, but you're going to find a way to get different enough especially when most of your opponents are going to block, especially exploitatively that your opponents are more likely to block that the, if there's a hundred lineups with a nut advantage, 99 of your opponents are more likely to think in the terms of, 
Oh, I'm going to switch. Oh, I had I had Austin Eckler at 10% in my lineup, but I'm going to switch out to Derrick Henry at 40% because I got the nut advantage. So I'm going to switch out to Derrick Henry. Oh, uh, instead of, I had Garrett, I originally had, uh, you know, Josh Palmer at 4% in my lineup. At the same price, I'm going to play Garrett Wilson now because I have the nut advantage. A lot of your opponents will be doing that. Well, do you want to share those points between the hundred people that have the nut advantage? Well, I don't because the value of coming in first versus coming in fifth is so it's so much bigger. But you have to, you also you have to have the balls, right? You're making the high, you're making a much higher EV decision, especially exploitatively. Because your opponents most likely are making the negative EV decision on top of it. So it's much more, much more valuable at that point to swap. Much more valuable. Are you getting 1% owned players? No, you're just lowering your your median projection enough and getting your lineups combinatorically different than the 100 lineups that you're competing against. And you have to understand that the likelihood of you coming in 100th place versus 10th place has gone up. Like you're decreasing the likelihood of you coming in 10th place. But you're increasing the likelihood of you coming in first place. And where is all the equity? All the equity is towards the top, right? If you had a better, if you had twice as better shot at coming in fifth place than in 10th place, you'd take it immediately, even though that means you're more likely to come in 100th place. The higher EDB decision would be to swap. And unblock and try to be as unblocked as possible. It sounds counterintuitive, but from a mathematical standpoint, it makes absolute sense. And that's what people get wrong. They do the opposites on both ends of the spectrum. The only time you could do the extreme is when you're in extreme scenarios. So when you have the nut advantage and you're the only one with the nut. Yes, if you're the only one that has the nut advantage. Yeah, block all you want. Even if you're in the top on one of five, like there's very if there are very few people. If you have the stat, if you have if that 80 point game was barely owned, right? It's a game that had a 37 total and now went for 80. And you have the one percent owned quarterback, the two two percent owned wide receivers, and the five percent owned run back or something like that. It's like, and then the one off defense is two percent owned. Like combinatorically, how many lineups have that combination? Like not many, <laughs> not many, right? At that point, that's a very extreme example. Yeah, block all you want. How many How many lineups have that nut advantage? Not many at all. I mean, not many at all, at all. So yeah, block all you want. Yeah, play, just jam in the highest projected highest on players and block as many people as possible, right? Because you're not competing against the top 100 players. You're competing against like three people. That's it. And the difference between first and third is a lot, but it's not like a first and a hundredth, right? You'd rather come in first than a hundredth. And then the other extreme example is if you're so far behind that even, even playing the high, even getting the points from the highest rejected players doesn't get you to the 25th percentile. Like when you're so far behind, right? Those extreme examples, then yeah, then, then it makes sense. Right, you have a bunch of bunch of a whole bunch of single digit snowflakes, expensive players in your lineup, six players in your lineup with single digits and snowflakes, and you got what three spots left, two spots, four, whatever many spots. Yeah, at that point, maybe you're taking out forty percent on Derrick Henry. Yeah, at, at that point, yeah. Well, 
most of the times in those extreme, you're not going to be in those extreme spots. Most of the time you're sitting there going, should I late swap or should I not late swap? And you're going to be in these zones where it's like, you're just out of the, you're, you're 10 points behind. You're 15 points behind. Or you have, or you have some version of the nut advantage. You're like, yeah, it's, it's likely three or four out of these five players are going to be in the winning lineup, but maybe not all of them. So as long as you have like three of them, it's like, okay, you can consider yourself somewhat nutted in that spot. And then it's a matter of how much should I swap? Should I not swap? You know, that would be the micro stuff. Right now, we just talk about macro strategy, just getting that right. Most people swap without realizing where the equity lies in their contests. And they just assume that, oh, if I'm performing badly, I'm just going to completely blow up my lineup and try to gain as much relative value as possible without realizing how little financial value that has. It doesn't have much financial value. You're not going to win. You're not winning first. You have no nut. You, you don't have the nuts. You don't have anywhere close to the nuts. And in these high, top-heavy payout progressive contests, like you need to, you need to have it's close to the nut advantage to even be in the top 1% of lineups. If you're not in the top 1% of lineups, the difference between coming in the 98th percentile and the 75th percentile is doesn't matter that much, right? In the grand scheme of things. So your, your profit doesn't come from that. Your profit comes in from top 1% finishes. So why are you aiming for that? You can't. You can't get there. You can't realistically get there. Just go for a min cash. And a lot of times, depending on the ownership of the players, which we'll talk about tomorrow, that's part of the micro strategy. How does the ownership of the players affect whether or not you should swap or not? And that's why we'll also talk about cash contests. Because in cash contests, it's actually the reverse. The reverse. When you're in this zone in cash, con- if you're in a double up and you're like, oh, I'm like eight points behind. It's so much more advantageous to swap out as much as you can, right? Obviously, if you're way, way behind, like it's very hard for you to do anything, but I mean, you'd obviously be swapping a lot. But when you're like very close, it's actually more beneficial. You, should, you shouldn't be thinking in terms of keeping Derrick Henry. You should be eliminating those people as much as possible. And the reason for that is because the ownership differences between GPPs and double ups. And also the fact in double-ups, it's not progressive. Right? When you're playing a double-up, the, the, the equity distribution is just one straight line to like the, fifth, the 45th percentile. Whether or not you come in first, top 1%, top 45%, doesn't matter. But the ownership differences of the players is much more dramatic. In this GPP, Derrick Henry, maybe 40% owned. But in your cash games, in double-ups, maybe he's 90% owned. There's a very big difference on how to make up relative value when a guy is 40% owned versus 90% owned. 90% owned, 90% of the lineups have this player. They're high projected. It's like, okay, you're sitting, you know, 15 points behind. 90% of the players have that. It's like if, if you keep Derrick Henry in the lineup and he scores 40 points, you've barely moved. You've moved 10 percentage points, right? Because 10% of the field doesn't have them. So if Derrick Henry puts up a ceiling score, you went from the 50th percentile to the 40th percentile. You still didn't cash, right? You still didn't cash. 
But in a GPP, if Derrick Henry is 40% owned, that means 60% of the lineups don't have him. So you get to move up further. That's why in cash contests, because the ownership is way more condensed, it gives you way more incentive to find leverage elsewhere in order to make up those points. It's much easier to make up relative value in those types of contests. Not not necessarily because it's a double up. It's because most of the lineups look the same, right? It's They're all cash lines. They're high projected cash lineups. So you're going to see 70% owned players. You're going to see 50% owned players. You're going to see, you know, we, we have some NBA slates where the lowest owned player in your lineup in a double up is 42%. Right? That's the lowest owned player in your lineup. Right, it could be it could be an eight game slate, and it's still because of how the value and the projection weighs out, especially on NBA slates with injury news and stuff like that. Everyone's lineup is kind of like a two v two off of each other, right? So everyone's like 40, 50, 60, 70. It's a ninety five percent owned guy. So if you need to make up points, the only way to make up points is to get rid of the chalky players. You have no other. You, you have to just to even move up into a cashing spot. But in GPPs, they're not that high owned. Now they could be, and the same dynamic would reply. Like if Derrick Henry was 90% owned, then we'd be talking about it the same way. But it typically doesn't happen in GPPs. Daniel Hutchings says, uh, I suspect there's an inflection point for lineups that are doing okay, but have no win equity. The better ones should jam chalk, but at a certain point down the distribution, they need aggressive swaps. Yeah, it's figuring out where that point is. That's why I use kind of more of an extreme example of like lineups that are way down here and lineups that are like, oh, close enough to the cash line. Right? You have to judge that for yourself. Right? It's going to be very hard. Especially like during NBA, it's, it's so many games are going on at the same time. And well, now you got a nine o'clock game coming up. Now you got a 930 game coming up. Much harder. That's why I use the NFL as an example. Because there's typically two very distinct time periods where a bunch of games are over and then a bunch of new games start. So like NBA is NBA is tough. You have to judge it at the time. How far behind am I? How owned are the players that project that I have that project well versus ones that don't project well? But I consider that to be the micro strategy. But from a macro standpoint, if you just simply think before you do anything, just drill into your head, where does the equity lie in my contest? And in GPPs, it's almost always going to be the top 1%. Then look at your lineup and go, do I have a shot at the top 1%? Most of the time, it's going to be no. Right? So, you, But you're going to ask that. Do I have a shot at the top 1%? You go, no. Okay. So then I don't have to worry about that. Where's the cash line? How do I maximize my shot at just getting to the cash line? This chalky player, how chalky are they? There's a difference between a 90% owned player and a 20% owned player, even though they're higher owned. And then you could decide your swaps from there, and that's what we'll talk about tomorrow. Paul Adair says, it sounds so simple hearing it now. Just need a little birdie to tell me this during the slate. This doesn't mean that it's gonna it's guaranteed to work out or anything like that. It's just that that there are a lot of times where you're you're somewhat behind the cash line in GPP, 
that you swapped out way too aggressively, you still got in there, but you didn't need to. Doesn't mean you don't late swap at all. I'm not saying that you just, oh, stand pat and who cares? Just means you have to make those considerations. When you're way far behind, way, way behind, then yeah, aggressively, you know, you, now you're it's a Hail Mary. You're going to make the cash line like 2% of the time. Right, you're going to swap all you want and miss 98% of the time. But there may have been plenty of times where you've swapped in this range where you're like 8, 10 points behind or something. You've swapped aggressively. And you've gotten there 30% of the time. But it turns out that if you didn't swap as aggressively, you would have gotten there 40% of the time. Right? That you made up those points and it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I see... Fl- you swap aggressively, and next thing you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm inside the cash line by 12 points. Great. Late swap for me. I did great, right? I, I rescued myself. I was a bit behind, and now I'm 12 points inside the cash line. Well, it's quite possible you could have gotten, like, four points inside the cash line with much less aggressive swaps. And you know the difference between where you cashed with your aggressive swap versus where you cashed with the less aggressive spot? The same amount. Same 1.5x. It wouldn't have mattered. But it turns out but being a little bit less aggressive, you actually increase your chances of cashing. And if you can increase your chances of cashing by 10% on average on every lineup in that zone, on every slate, if you play regularly and you're, you're playing, you know, multiple lineups, maybe not a 150, but multiple lineups, and you're playing every day, the difference of like that 10%, I mean, that could be, that could end up being two or three grand by the end of the year. Five grand at the end of the year. Just that difference, that 10% difference could be an extra three to five grand. Could be. Just in that. Isn't that, isn't that money that you want? It's money that I want. It adds up over time. It doesn't seem like, oh yeah, well, I, I rescued. I had 10 lineups that were behind. The, I, out of my 20 lineups, I had 10 lineups that were behind. Uh, and I rescued three out of the, the the ten, right? I couldn't the other seven I couldn't get to. Versus only having saving two of them, right? The extra one extra lineup, saving it. Well, that's a swing, right? If it's if it's a if it's at let's say a fifteen dollar lineup, and instead of losing fifteen, you gain twenty two fifty, right? One point five x. Imagine doing that every day, right? What's the swing? Of let's let's even do the math. Let's say it's a fifteen dollar lineup, and you just you rescued to min cash one one extra per day for let's say three. You play three hundred days, three hundred slates. Let's just use that as an example. So what's the gap between twenty two fifty and and fifteen? Right. That's plus that's that's thirty seven fifty difference. Okay. So instead of losing. $4,500, right? 15, a $15 lineup 300 times is 4500 bucks. Instead of losing $4,500, right? You have now gained $6,750. That's like a 10K swing, Right? Just rescuing one extra lineup out of 10. 
per day with the late with the late, proper late swap. Now, obviously, if you're playing the mini max, obviously, you know, you, you multiply by whatever the entry fee is. But that's how big of a gap is. Instead of losing 4,500, you've gained 6,750. When people say, oh, is it worth it to do? If, if you're looking to play profitably, I mean, that's, that's like having getting a rake reduction. These things add up. And the more you do over time, the better your results are going to be at the end of the year. On a day-to-day basis, you're not going to notice it much. And you're going to think, and most people think it's not worth doing. But if you're playing, if you're playing for profit, if you, that's the goal that you're looking to do, this you have to take these things into account. Do you want to be bleeding and leaking away one, two percent of your ROI by not doing this or not doing it well? Doing it 10% better than what you're currently doing it may equate to several thousand dollars, depending on how much volume you play. You play lower volume, maybe it's a couple of hundred bucks. But do, I, do you really want to, at the, end of the, at the end of the year, go, oh, I had a good year. It's like, do you know you just like threw away $1,200 for no reason? They're like, oh, well, I, I, still, I still made 18000 or something. Like, okay, yeah, which is great. But what is 1200 bucks to you? Like twelve hundred bucks to you, maybe. I mean, that may be a mortgage payment. Like, imagine if I told you it's like that you didn't play someone that didn't play DFS, and I'm like, you know, you're more, you know, you, uh, the, uh, you paid an extra twelve hundred on your mortgage for no reason. That didn't, it didn't. You just threw in, threw in the toilet. So instead of instead of paying off my, I just threw threw twelve hundred dollars in the toilet. You'd be like, what? You'd be incensed. Like, how did I just throw twelve hundred dollars in the toilet? Well, that's what you're doing. Okay, ANS Comedy says, how do you look at swaps and head-to-head? Yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk about cash game stuff tomorrow. The micro strategy. Because head-to-heads, remember, where's the equity distribution? Think the same exact thing. Where's the equity? What does the equity distribution graph look like for a head-to-head? This is what I mean by when I teach concepts. You should be able to apply exactly this concept to any contest you play. Well, how about a head-to-head? Well, what does a head-to-head look like? What's what's the fiftieth percent? There's only there's only two percentiles, right? Either you come in the top fiftieth percentile or the bottom fiftieth percentile, right? There's only two lineups. You either win or you lose, right? So you're trying to maximize where the equity is, and the and the, the difference between coming in well, there's no first or there's only first. There's no other pl- pay, uh, payout spot. Your goal is to beat out the other guy by just one point. How do you maximize your opportunities to do that late swap wise? The thing about head that is that if you can predict what they have, you know where you are blocked. So let's say you're way behind. You should be more inclined to remove and have as share as few points as possible but that's not that that common a lot of times you're just somewhat behind let's say that's a 10 you have a 10 you have a 10 player lineup and at the 1 p.m games you, both of you have five play whatever it doesn't matter what it is five players going so at the end of the 1 p.m games you're down by five points 
And you both still have five players left to go. Would you, would you, you don't want to have the same five players. If you have the same exact five players, you'll lose automatically. Right? Because you can't gain any points because all the points are shared. If you knew that you had a, a, a perfect 5v5, like you were sharing all five players, how many players would you swap out? Would you rather have a 1v1, a 2v2, a 3v3, a 4v4, or a 5v5? Well, that would be determined by how far behind you are. You're down by 50 points. You want a 5v5, right? You're not going to be able to make up 50 points probably with one player, right? A 1v1. This guy has zero and you have 50. Right? This guy puts up 4.8 and you put up 54.8. It's unlikely you'll be able to make up 50 points with one player. So in that extreme, where you're down by that much, you should be more inclined to play as few players shared as possible. If you're only down by four points, do you have to play all five different players? No. You can't play the same five players, but a 1v1 could do it. That's the same type of, the same type of a session you'd make for a double up, for a GPP, for anything. This concept applies no matter what contest you're playing. But we'll talk about them, those, those type of micro decisions. And it depends on the ownership of the players in your contest. Obviously, in head-to-heads, either a player is 100% owned or 50% owned or 0% owned. Just because it's a head-to-head doesn't mean that these, these concepts don't apply. It's just a ex- very extreme version of a double-up or a 50-50. It's very extreme. It's the same thing as playing a 10-man 50-50 or the top five pay. This is just, this is a two-man 50-50, but the top one pays. It's it's the same concept. Okie doke. We just got word. Lamella Ball is to miss the rest of the season. So take them out of your lineups. I don't know. Are they, are they even playing tonight? I have no idea. If you have any questions, more questions about late swap in particular, get them in before tomorrow. Because I'll be going over micro strategy tomorrow for late swap. And obviously, if you have questions about late swap, you can always send them in. Just thought may not come back around to this for, for, for a little bit, but you know, this show is guided by your questions. So send them in questions at theory And I talk about this type of stuff exactly in the theory of daily fantasy sports in the courses. So go to theory and pick them up and you can go through everything. You could go through everything in a nice structured way. Like you're going through a seminar or you can tune into this show where, where I, Hop around and answer stuff and talk about topics depending on uh, on your feedback. Some of the best feedback is the thumbs up button. So if you like the show, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell to know whenever we go live. We got basketball game. We got content today. We got BGA stuff going on. We're back in the swing of things, right? The NBA is back. Baseball's coming back in about a month. Tons of stuff going on in the channel. So subscribe to the Road to Grinders YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Ro- to the, the Scores and Odds YouTube channel for all your betting needs. And uh and, and I'll see you guys tomorrow. We'll talk, we'll talk a little, a little bit more detailed about this. But micro strategy with late swap. But uh, but I hope I hope that this uh gives you a little bit more insight on what you should be thinking about, right? From a macro standpoint, when you do make late swaps. And, uh, and, and I, I hope that's beneficial as long as you're not like swapping over me and you're blocking in and you come in first and I come in second and we'll play the little cat and mouse game. You could, are you going to block? Am I going to block? But that's a little bit more of the micro stuff. And we'll talk about that tomorrow because I I'm here answering your DFS strategy questions.
at uh, what? What is it? Eleven o'clock Eastern? Yeah, eleven o'clock Eastern. Monday through Friday on the DFS pregame show on RotoGrinders.com. <laughs>